Revelations chapter 14. So Friday night of this past week, my wife and I and my mother-in-law, we were so blessed to go play at Cedar Chandelier. Um, Delina had been asking me for uh, several weeks, uh, probably even several months, um, if our church would come and sing. Uh, for those who don't know, Cedar Chandeliers, it's a restaurant in Ava, and they, um, they during dinner time, they have, usually have live music up there. Um, usually on Thursday nights, they have kind of a bluegrass group that comes up there, and, and they're, they're pretty good. And then Friday and Saturday night, they'll kind of change up who comes in. And she had asked me several months back if our church would be interested in just coming up on one night and um, just coming in and, and singing up there during that time. And I, I told her that we would. And, um, but it's, uh, every time she's contacted me, it just seemed like there was always something else going on. And she had contacted me the weekend of, of uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, because the person that they had scheduled, which was supposed to be an Elvis impersonator out of Branson, canceled because of the bad weather. And, um, and so she had contacted me and asked me if uh, Melissa and I would do it. And, and I told her, you know, if she could find somebody else, it would be probably better because all we're going to get up and do is sing hymns. I said, probably not a great uh, night for lovers to come out and we're all going to sing, you know, Rock of Ages. And uh, and so anyway, this past week, she contacted me again, and she said, hey, would you guys be interested in singing on Friday night? And um, I told her just to give me a little bit of time, and I would make some calls and, and try to figure out what I could come up with. And so I had got a hold of Miss Sheena, and, and she told me that she had kind of overdone it last weekend and really wasn't sure how she would be feeling on Friday night. So I told her, I said, don't even worry about it. And, uh, and so I, I got a hold of my son and, uh, to see if him and Jennifer would come. And uh, they had Bible study on Friday night, so they weren't be able, wasn't going to be able to do it. So I got a hold of Delina and I told her, I said, you know, I said, we can do it. I said, but it'll just be two hillbillies and a guitar. I mean, that's all you're going to have up there. And I said, and all we're going to do is sing hymns. And, uh, and I said, and I'm not that good. And she said, well, what picture do you want me to use? And I was like, are you kidding me? And so, uh, so I told her, um, I, I sent her a picture to put up and um, Melissa said, do you want to see if mom will help? I said, well, yeah, let's see if mom will help because, you know, that piano covers up a multitude of sins <laughs> if she can play loud enough. And, and thank God she was able to go with us. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest. As we was preparing to, to get in our mind kind of wrapped around, I had to do a job in Joplin, so I was, you know, I always get nervous when I'm farther away from home and don't know what I'm going to get into, but I was able to make it back, and I was really hoping that we would pull in and there would be nobody there, 
I was, I was, I didn't call nobody. I didn't invite nobody. I didn't tell a soul that we was doing this. And I was just wanting to survive the evening with as little, as little embarrassment as I could get by with. And uh, so we pulled into the parking lot and it was packed. Oh my gosh, there was no parking spots, there was cars ever. I looked over at my wife and she had this panic look on her face. And I was like, honey, it's, it's just a Friday night singing. That's all it is, it's just a Friday night singing, that's all. It, I said, to, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I said, oh, it'll be just fine, it'll be just fine. And we go inside and it's standing room only. I mean, it, there, every table has somebody sitting at it. The waitress comes over and she goes, man, you guys draw a crowd. And I was like, good night, I don't know half these people. Where did they all come from? And so I, uh, Janice, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. She said, you make sure you sing loud. I'm like, well, you play loud, please. And, and the, the, the setup is terrible. Because they, they got the singers up on the stage and the piano's over here by the door. You can't even see her over here. And I can't tell you how many times we got off from each other because we couldn't hear one another playing up there. And it's dark, so I couldn't see the words. And so I'm, I'm trying to sing like this because I can't see nothing up there. And um, we got up there and, and, hey, it's just a Friday night singing. I said, let's just have fun. Let's just have fun. And we did. We got it because I'm, I'm telling you, the crowd responded fantastic. I mean, they hooting, holler, and clapped when we would get done with one of our songs. I would look out there and, and people were singing along with us. I mean, we were just doing the old hymns that we do here at the church. And, and I, we had one guy sitting right in front of us and he sang every word to every song that we sang. And oh my gosh, it was so hot up there. I mean, I was sweating. My forehead was covered with sweat. I know you're like, where's your forehead start? Yeah, you guys are hilarious out there. But I w it was just, and it was so loud, we couldn't hear each other. But we had so much fun. I mean, we had an absolute blast. And, and um, we sang for almost two hours. And I didn't know I knew that many hymns. And as we was going through this morning, I'm like, hey, why didn't we sing that one? Hey, we should have sung that one. Man, that one would have been good if we would have sung that. And uh, so anyway, there was a couple of times that we had a few embarrassing moments. You know, Melissa sounded like alfalfa every now and again. And, uh, several, and I know you don't believe this, but there was a few times I lost my place when we were singing. Uh, <laughs> We did Wayfaring Stranger, and I just could not remember the chords for the first half of it. I mean, it was just, we had those moments, um, and, and we would just, like I said, there were times that, that we would get off from Janice, and I'd just look at her, and we'd just laugh and try to get back on, you know, with each other, and, uh, but it was a real blessing. I mean, it was a, an absolute real blessing. I had... Um, Butch McClary come up and he said, man, what a blessing this has been tonight. What an absolute blessing this has been. And um, afterwards, we sat down and ate. And, and after we got done eating, I'd gone up. And, and Cindy Smith, um, I've known Cindy for, for many years. And um, 
probably 20 years ago or more, um, Cindy and I had traveled around and we would sing at churches and that we would go sing at like uh, Butter Days and, and uh, you know, all these different uh, fairs and stuff. And we did that for about a year. We didn't do it for a long time, but we'd sing. And, <clears throat> and so we sat down and, and uh, we talked for almost two hours just sitting there, just talking and, and kind of catching up with some stuff. And I shared the story about my dad. And I began to tell her about, you know, how before we found out that my dad was sick, that I had prayed. Um, and my prayer was, I said, God, if I have found any favor in your eyes because of the life that I've tried to live pleasing to you, I just asked that you would honor my prayer that my dad would not die suddenly. Because I knew that my dad was, was not going to change unless something drastic had happened. And, and so um, not long after I had prayed that, one day my dad was driving home from Ava. Him and another gentleman was coming back. And um, he began to cough. And, and dad had gotten to where he would get to coughing so hard that he would pass out. And he's running 60 mile an hour down the road with his cruise control set and gets to coughing and passes out and hits a guardrail running 60 mile an hour. Dad never wore a seatbelt. And um, he walked out of it without a scratch. And it was that day. Now, the gentleman that was with him was not so lucky. He spent several weeks in ICU. But it was that day that I, I could just feel God reach down and say, I heard your prayer. Now, I, and, I, and I never expected that to be a guarantee my dad was going to get saved. There, it was in nothing like that. It was just that God had honored my prayer to not take my dad quickly with a heart attack or a, a car wreck or, or, you know, something of the nature. And, and so I, I found a lot of peace in that. My dad was still angry, was still hostile, he was still a drunk. Um, but it wasn't long after that we found out that dad had terminal cancer. And uh, the, do the doctor had told dad, he said that the cancer was a direct result of the lifestyle that dad had lived. And, you know, dad had always been in denial that, you know, that any of the health issues he had. And even after, you know, this diagnosis, he still was in kind of denial that, that it had anything to do with the life he was living. But, you know, dad had smoked for 40 years and drank for 40 years. And, I mean, he had, he had lived a rough life. And the doctor told him, he said, listen, you know, this, this that you're dealing with now is a direct result of the life you lived. You're paying for the life that you've, you've chosen. And um, just a couple of weeks before my dad had passed away, um, I can remember, and, I, and I'm sharing all this with Cindy, and I told her, I said, you know, I can remember um, mom had called all of his kids and told us the doctor had said that there was nothing else they could do, that it was just a matter of, you know, however much time that he had left, but there was no more treatments. There was nothing else that he could do. And um, I told my wife, I said, today's the day. I said, he's getting saved today. This is it. 
man, I had this righteous indignation. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to tell him, you know, how the cow eats the cabbage. I mean, he's going to get saved today. And I drove down, I got in my truck and I drove down to Mansfield and I got to mom and dad's and they were gone. They never went anywhere, especially since dad got sick. I mean, they were, I, I don't, they were gone. And I can remember I walked in the house and I sat down at the kitchen table and I just put my head down and I began to pray and I said, God, he's yours. You love him more than I love him. And I said, God, he's yours. And I got up and I, I left the house. And it wasn't just a, a few days later that, that mom got a hold of us and told us that a hospice chaplain had come and that her and dad had gotten saved. And that was just a couple of weeks before dad's passing. And, and you know, and I, I've been thinking a lot about that, especially as I, I looked at this study that we have this week in, in chapter 14. And I could, all I could think, and you know, I, I got up this morning and, man, I don't know what was going on this morning. I was thinking about my dad, and man, I was just, I cried a lot this morning. I don't know what, I was just a crybaby this morning. I was a mess. And, um, but I was just thinking about the, 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 the worst part of the wrath of the cancer that was upon my dad's body. Mercy was offered right in the middle of the judgment that was upon him for the life that he had chosen, God never gave up on him. He never gave, and he gave him this offer. I mean, dad is, is dealing with the worst thing he's ever dealt with in his whole entire life, and right in the middle of that judgment, God offered him mercy. And by God's grace, dad responded in a positive way and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I have a picture of my dad from many years ago. He couldn't have been 30 years old in this picture. But in this picture, um, he used to play on a softball team. I, I, I think about it today, and I can't even imagine my dad playing softball. I don't think he ever played any sports in his life. But he was on this softball team, and um, it was sponsored by the Catholic Church. He has this big Catholic shirt on. And it looks like he's dancing a celebration jig. I don't know what it was all about. I don't know what happened in the picture. But you, you see my dad, and he's doing this celebration dance. And under that picture, I have a note that my dad wrote the day after he got saved. Now, by this time, dad's esophagus was starting to close off. His voice box was no longer working. And so the only way he could communicate was by writing things down. And so I went up the day after they had gotten saved, and Dad wrote this note, and this is what it said. It said, I'm still sick, but I feel 100% better about myself than I think I ever have. And I got that sitting on my coffee table in the living room of, with my dad. And the more I study Revelation, the more I see the more I see is this is just who God is. This is who God is. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, 
The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not willing for any to perish. Do you hear that? It is God's will that not a single human being upon the face of this earth would go to hell. That is God's will. It is not his will that they would go to hell. But for all to come to repentance, that is the will of God. And throughout all of God's wrath, we, we've been studying for, in Revelation for over a year now. And as we've looked through this, all the way through God's wrath, during the seven years of tribulation, we have seen God reach out time after time after time and offer mercy. Right in the middle of God's wrath, he continues to reach out because it is not his will that any should perish. For seven years, he tries to draw people out of the path that they've chosen, that path that leads to destruction. He sent out the 144,000 evangelists. He sent out the eagle, if you remember, that was preaching the gospel. He sent out the two witnesses. And then the countless new believers that were, were spread throughout because of the, 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 the evangelism of these times that God reached out. See, Jesus is relentless in his will for all to be saved. I've heard the Holy Spirit called the hound of heaven. For years I've heard that. You see, if anyone goes to hell, they have to step over the body of Jesus Christ. If anyone goes to hell, they have to tread through the blood to get there. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You know, I've always been amazed, and, and well, what kind of loving God would send anybody to hell? Nobody is sent to hell. They choose that path. They choose that. We especially see this in the book of Revelation. They choose that. They acknowledge there is a God and they shake their fist and they curse at him during these times of wrath. And today, once again, we're going to see God's attempt to reach out and to draw those in who are on a path to destruction. Revelations chapter 14. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is three angels who come with messages from God. Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to start with verse 1, but we're going to, only, we're going to go through 11. Um, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne 
and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there following another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now last week, we saw the 144 standing with the Lamb. And they were singing a song that only they could learn. A song that only the 144,000 could sing. And John had pointed out that this 144,000 had not defiled themselves by women. The King James says that all 144,000 were virgins. And then that's where we stopped last week. I want to finish this description of the 144,000. It says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Now, John Phillips describes the 144,000 in this way. He says, they allow no rivals, no refusals, and no restraint to mar their dedication to him. Does he need someone to stand up on the steps of the Vatican and cry out against the marriage of Christendom Christendom to the beast? There are 144,000 ready to go. Does the Lord need someone to beard the beast at some high function of state? and roundly denounce him, his policy, his statecraft, his religion, his economic boycott, his mark, his ministers, his alliance with with Satan, there are 144,000 eager to go. Does the Lamb need evangelists to proclaim to the untold millions the gospels of the coming kingdom of God, to climb the highest Himalayas, to cross the desert, stand the blaze, stand to blaze evangelistic trails through steaming jungles or to mush huskies across wide Arctic wastes, there are 144,000 ready to go. 
And though the beast Gestapo dogged their footsteps and wreak upon their converts his direct vengeance, yet on they go undaunted and undetermined. Or, I'm sorry, undeterred. That was the very spirit of their consecration as they followed the Lamb whithersoever he led them on the earth. And their reward is kind. You know, we would all like to think that we would follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes until we walk away from a fight and the Holy Spirit tells us to go back and apologize. Or until he tells us to forgive the unforgivable, the liar, the thief, the drug addict, the rapist, the molester, the adulterer, and the murderer. Whithersoever he goes, until he says, don't watch that, don't click on that, don't read that, don't say that, and don't repeat that. Whithersoever he goes, until he says, be not unequally yoked, stay a virgin till your marriage, obey the laws of the land, don't take that job, don't marry that person, don't be friends with that person there. Whithersoever he goes, until it infringes on my free will and my fleshly desires. You see, these 144,000 special force evangelists, they followed Jesus whithersoever he went. It says they were purchased among men. They were purchased for a purpose. They were purchased for a special purpose. It says they were the first fruits of Jehovah God. How am I supposed to say Joshua or Yahshua? Yeshua. The first fruits of Jehovah God and Yeshua Hamashiach, the Lamb. During the Old Testament, the first fruits, the first part of the crop to be harvested were offered to Jehovah. The first fruits, the first, we talked about that in Sunday school class. The very first that came out of the harvest was given to God for a purpose. You see, the 144,000 are the first fruits. In fact, they are the first fruits of the redeemed Israel, the first fruits of the nation's salvation when Yahshua, Yeshua, Hamashiach returns. They're sealed, they're protected as the greatest evangelistic force to ever assemble. And then it says, no lie was found in their mouth. Zephaniah 3.13 says this, The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. For they will feed and lie down with no one to frighten them. The 144,000 will preach the gospel without sugarcoating. Without wavering or crawdadding. I tried to use hillbilly terms so we'd all know where we're at here. 
They will boldly proclaim the gospel truth without fear. They are blameless. It says they are blameless. It doesn't say that they're sinless. It says they are blameless. They are sanctified. That's just a big word that means that they are set apart. They are declared holy. You know, as Christians, we're all sanctified. As believers in Christ, we are all set apart. We are all declared holy. Ephesians 1, 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. 2 Corinthians eleven two. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And Jude 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to our to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And now we see an angel. Verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. I always wonder, what's so special? I mean, because if you think about it, you know, there are, the Bible teaches that there are myriads times myriads times, you know, 10,000 times 10,000. There are uncountless numbers of angels, millions, if not billions, if not trillions of angels uh, in the heavens. So I, I always wonder, what is it about these angels? Because these angels were chosen for these specific jobs. So we have this angel here who is going to come and preach the gospel to those that are upon the earth. Now, it says that he is flying in the midheaven. Now, this literally means that he is flying where the midday sun is located at high noon. So if you think about that, that means that the angel is going to position himself where it can be best seen by all people. Now, I have no idea how this is going to be accomplished. It doesn't tell us how it's going to work. I have no idea. Will, will he be seen all over the earth at one time? Is there going to be a way that he positions himself in, in the heavens that everybody upon the earth can see him? At the, I don't know. Or, or is he going to go to the different places all over the... I, I don't know. I just know what it says. And I believe what it says. That he will position himself at the midday noon, at the, at the, the apex of the atmosphere so that he can be seen by all. All I know is that every nation, tribe, tongue, and people will see this angel. He will be unobstructed. 
unstoppable by Satan, the Antichrist, and any of his demons. He will be unstoppable. This angel who comes in the middle of God's wrath upon this earth, upon those that remain, and will preach the gospel to them. And, I, and, and I've been thinking about it too, and I, I've been looking at a lot of commentaries and reading, and, and personally, I don't believe that he will speak different languages. Well, you know, I had one commentary said, well, you know, he'll speak Spanish over here, and he'll, he'll speak Chinese over here, and he'll speak English over here. I don't believe that. For some reason, I, I have this in my mind that he will speak in understanding. And what I mean by that is he will speak some type of language that every human being will understand. Not that he's speaking any type of, uh, of, of English or Spanish or Chinese or any of that, but he will speak in a way that every human body will understand it. I don't know how that works. I don't believe in heaven we're going to be speaking Chinese and, and, and Mexican. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that we're going to speak in a heavenly language that everybody understands. And so I just have in my mind this angel, and, I, and that's me thinking. But I do know this, that everyone will understand what he says. They will clearly understand. There will, it will be unmistakable what he is telling them about the gospel. But this once again shows the mercy of God. It shows the mercy right in the wrath of Elohim, it's being poured out upon the unrighteous, and God is still pleading for them to turn away from the wrath of God, to receive his son. How effective will this angel's message be? You know, these remaining people have been through the seven seals, they've been through the seven trumpets. They've dealt with the 144,000 evangelists. They've seen the two witnesses. They've seen the eagle. They've had all of those preaching to them that are freshly saved. How effective will this angel be? I'm afraid that most of them will remain hard-hearted. And we're going to see that when the second angel kind of comes in. But if there was only one, if there was only one who was going to change, God would still send the angel. It doesn't matter. If there was only one, he would send the angel. And see, I believe, you know, I can, I can remember a time years ago that, that you know, when, when we attended another church, that they had a, a huge emphasis on evangelism. And they, they gave everybody this idea that it was through evangelism that the Messiah would come back because all of the gospel had to be preached to all of the world. And so it was their job to go out and to get the, the gospel out to everybody so Jesus would come home. That's how, they, that's how they got us to give them money because they had to go out into all the world and to preach all the gospel. And if, if we don't get the gospel out, then Jesus ain't coming back. Well, I believe this angel is the answer to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That makes sense to me. 
This angel will, will go to the apex and he will preach to all of the world and the, all of the world will hear the all of the gospel. Now, it says that he preached an everlasting gospel. And some translations say he preached an eternal gospel. Now, as we study through the Second Testament, you find several descriptions of the gospel. Now, all of them are speaking about the same gospel, but we have all these different descriptions, these several different characteristics of the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 4, 23. The gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach, Mark 1, 1. The gospel of Jehovah, Mark 1, 14. The gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20, 24. The gospel of the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The gospel of salvation, Ephesians 1, 13. The gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, 15. The glorious gospel, 1 Timothy 1, 11. And here it is called the eternal gospel. In eternal, not so much in that it will last forever, but eternal in the sense that it provides the means of eternal life. It tells us how to be saved eternally. It gives us the tools that we need. You see, the message hasn't changed from the beginning. The message is as old as history itself. The good news of forgiveness and eternal life, that's what the gospel is. He isn't preaching a new gospel. He is preaching the same gospel that's been preached from the beginning of time. And it says that every person on earth will hear and they will understand. It says he will preach with a loud voice. Now... Just so you know, I went to Miss Wendy this morning. I got permission to tell this story. I spent most of the day yesterday with her husband, Dean. And if you ever want to be entertained, that's what you need to do. I think you should hire him out as entertainment. But I went and, and, and spent the day with him and her future son-in-law, and, and we had a, just had a great time. But yesterday he told me a story. He told me a story. He said one day him and Wendy was sitting around and, and Wendy was sitting there chewing on him. Now this, now this is Dean's story, so, you know, I've only got one side of this story. But he says that Wendy is sitting there chewing him out. And he said, I looked, up at, her, I looked at her and I said, hold on just a second. And he reached up and he took his earring aids out. He sat him to the side. He said, continue. That's Dean. <laughs> I laughed when he said that. And you know, we've all been around someone who, who had hearing aids and didn't have them in, or we've been around somebody who needs hearing aids, and they can't hear a thing that's going on around him. But I assure you, every single human being will hear this angel preach. Every single human being, whether they need hearing aids or they are plumb deaf, deaf, not death, deaf, they will hear this angel. So what will he preach? 
the first thing he preaches is fear God. Fear God. You know, many, I, I believe that there are many of these who will respond to the Antichrist out of fear. Fear they won't be able to eat, fear they won't be able to drink, fear they won't be able to live in their home or drive their cars. They will, they will, they will respond to the Antichrist out of fear. And for those who have not taken the mark, the number of his name, 666. He says, don't fear the beast. He tells them, don't fear the beast, fear God. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Proverbs 23.17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Proverbs 24.21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. And do not join with those who do otherwise. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And Matthew 10.28 says, And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but they're unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Fear God. That is the beginning of wisdom. So he comes up to the apex, and the first thing he says is, Fear God. Don't fear the Antichrist. Don't fear what he can do to you. Fear God. Fear God and give him glory. Give him glory. You see, it's a rebellious heart that refuses to give God glory. It is a rebellious heart that refuses to give God glory. Romans 1.21 says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They acknowledged there was a God, but they didn't give Him glory. They made up the God that they wanted. And because of that, they are given a reprobate mind. You see, the hour of his judgment has come, you think? The clock is running out. There are seven bowls left to be poured out, and they will be poured out in rapid succession. And then it says the Lord will return shortly after that. Their time is running out. Now, this is the first time in Revelation that we see the word judgment. Always before it spoke of the rack. This is the first time we see the judgment used in Revelation. It won't be the last time. And we'll see it interchangeably used with wrath over the next few chapters. And then the angel says, worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. You see, when Paul evangelized the Jews, he always went back to the First Testament. And when he evangelized the Gentiles, he presented God as creator. 
You see, the Bible teaches us that every human being, every single human being is without excuse because of nature. And so here we see the angel stepping out and presenting God as the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that which is in it. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voices never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in heaven for the Son. And Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from the heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in righteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident with them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, what he's saying is, is the minute you step outside the doors of your house, God proclaims himself in nature. You cannot say there is no God. You cannot say I don't believe in God because as soon as you walk out the door, nature screams there is a God. And you will be without excuse when you stand before God. And so we see this angel stand up or rise up before all of the earth and he says, Worship the God that created the heavens. Worship the God that created the earth. Worship the God that created the sea. You are without excuse. I was told about a man who had asked his church to pray for his brother. For 33 years, 33 years he prayed. Had the church, asked the church to pray for the salvation of his brother. And the person that was telling this story said, you know, I honestly believed that he had been turned over to a reprobate mind. I truly believed that his heart had been hardened because he was so hostile to faith. They said, I, you know, I, I remember a time that his brother began to talk about church, began to talk about God, and this, this gentleman said, Whoa, wait a minute. Are we talking about religion? It's time for me to go. Thirty-three years, this man walked into the church. They would take prayer requests. He would raise his hand, and he would say, pray for my brother. Pray for his salvation. Thirty-three years. One day, he walks in, and he raised his hand. The pastor said, brother, you have a prayer request. He said, I don't need you to pray for my brother's salvation anymore. They all thought that the brother must have died. And he said, last night, my brother accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. 33 years that man prayed for his brother. He never gave up. For 33 years, every week he prayed for his brother's salvation. You see, Jehovah is long-suffering. 
long-suffering. We see that in this 14th chapter. We see this in the angel. I mean, the, the clock is ticking down. The time is almost out, and he continues to reach out to the lost. He is long-suffering. And next week, the next angel is going to tell us about his judgments. Would you stand to your feet? Father, thank you. What a powerful word you've given us today. God, most of us, if not all of us, know someone, Father, who fought to their last breath the very existence of God, only to find themselves face-to-face with you, Father, and to find themselves repenting and regretting the life that they, the unrighteous life they had lived previously. God, we see example after example. We We see the the thief upon the cross turning at the last moments of his life. I've spoken of my father, my mother, those that received because of your mercy, received one last chance before they left this life. And God, I just pray as we hear the story of this gentleman who was saved after 33 years of praying for this man that we never give up never give up father we never know what you're doing to their heart we never know what's going on in their head what's going on in their heart but that we never stop praying god And God, may we be willing to go whithersoever you send us, Father. We never look at it as those times that you call us to apologize, that you call us to forgive. God, the path that you lay before us is not always easy. As a matter of fact, many times it's impossible without your help. So now, Father, as we conclude this service, I pray that your blessings would be poured out upon these people. I pray that they leave here with their cup overflowing in the blessings of God. Keep us safe as we travel and bring us all back once again to open your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy the sunshine. Winter's coming back.